we are experiencing a paradigm shift. A fundamental change in the way we usually do things. We are intentionally choosing to see the silver lining. Opportunity arises. We can shine a light on the things that weren't working well, on those things that weren't really working at all. We can regroup, reevaluate, and re-engineer. It's time to explore new patterns and paradigms. Those that inspire us to rise above the chaos and explore how the conditions of today can take us to a better tomorrow. Patterns and Paradigms, the Pattern Podcast, from Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 15, Filming in the Hudson Valley, with your host, Pattern President and CEO, Jonathan Drapkin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Patterns and Paradigms. We hope that you had time to listen to our episode with Denise Frangipani and Sullivan Renaissance to see how inspiring a program dedicated to beautification and community renewal can be. Denise would be happy to talk to you about how to get a program like that going in your area. Just let us know and we'll connect you. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you find your favorite and take a moment to share an episode with a friend. This week's bubble or trend. The trend is clear. Due to the recent completion of the New York State budget and the completed and proposed federal stimulus bills, there is more than enough money to make our school districts in the Hudson Valley whole. This is indeed good news. But the bubble that I'm wishing to reference here is what are we going to do with some of that money? More of the same? There is so much to talk about in just trying to get kids back to school, and a great deal of it is centered in going back to the way it was. Well, Patterns and Paradigms doesn't want to go back to the way it was. We want to imagine, and now we're financially in a position to do some of that imagination, what do the school districts of the 20s look like? So. Yes, we were tired of learning virtually, and it didn't work for everybody. So yes, we want to get back inside the classroom. Socialization, good for mental health, good for learning for most kids. But we don't want to get rid of virtual learning entirely. We think it could actually be used to supplement how kids learn. There are those kids that can't get enough school. And this will be an opportunity for them to actually have classes that they can subscribe to, to supplement the programs and classes that they have in their school. Or at the other end, what about kids that are falling behind? Does it have to wait until next year or this coming summer? Possibly there's ways to help them immediately with topics and subjects that they weren't grasping in the classroom. Can we finally come to grips with the fact that high school for 50% of people in our region is the end of formal learning? Can we design a pathway to a job for the 50% that are looking for employment after high school? And this is the end of where they're going to be in terms of formal education, but they're not going to a community college. They're not going to a four-year college. Nothing wrong with that. We fully commend and continue to urge people that wish to go on for higher levels of formal education to do so. But we've got to think about, are we going to get people to a decent paying job using the same programs we were using prior to the pandemic if we are moving ahead by understanding where the reality lies in terms of formal education? And we know this from looking at census data. So stay tuned. Let's look for the imagination as we return to full-time K-12 through learning. And by the way, Some of that imagination, we couldn't be happier that there's going to be universal pre-K. This is superb, but that's for another episode. 
So I'm here with my partner, Joe Chaika, and I want to continue this notion of, so if we have extra money, and I know there'll be those immediately say it's not extra, it's just filling the gap, there's extra money. What do we do? How can we be more imaginative? How do we build back better? And better is the word that I want to focus on with Joe. So Joe, I'm going to take a guess. Housing, any ideas for if you had the money, what would you do? I've got a lot of ideas. After after doing this for three decades, a few things come to mind. Uh, you know, right right now, there's there's a lot of people hurting because of the economy and what the pandemic has done. So immediately, if I had a a, um, a, a case full of cash, I would make landlords whole. I would help tenants who have been in arrears. I think that's that's both a, a positive movement for property owners and renters. Um, I think that creating a larger pool of what's called a choice housing voucher is important. It's a rent subsidy that allows people to live where they want to live and gives them the economic mobility within the county to take that voucher um, and, and get good quality housing. I think increasing the down payment and closing cost assistance for first-time home buyers is very important. As we know, home ownership is a, is a great way to build wealth um, and, and you know, ultimately it will mitigate generational poverty. Housing rehabilitation for those who are in their homes and have, have had issues maintaining their homes. They need a new boiler, they need a new roof, they need electrical upgrades. There's a lot of people who own homes who are aging in place. They need assistance with things like ramps, things like handicapped accessibility uh, in terms of bathrooms and kitchens, uh, things like that. Um, there's a lot of other costs that are related um, to, to, um, to developers on the long range uh, um, economic uh, output, if you will, of their, of their developments in terms of expenses. One very easy way that a developer can serve lower income renters is to reduce their costs of operation. One of the biggest costs of operation, local taxes. So could you imagine if, you, if, if, if there was a pool of dollars developers could dip into that would actually assist in paying those local taxes. That way the, the uh, community stays whole, the developer um, can build more housing and the rents can typically be lower. Water and sewer infrastructure in rural areas is very important because people don't all live in urban centers. And when you go to develop housing in a rural area, one of the biggest stumbling blocks is water and sewer. And my last idea would be to actually expand the habitat model. The habitat model builds skills, it builds neighborhoods, and it absolutely builds wealth. Um, operating those programs, they all run on very, very thin margins. It's extraordinarily difficult to raise funds for it. So I would expand that model. Um, so Joe, you know, when you say expand that model and, you know, in terms of housing, you've often said to me that with regard to affordable and workforce housing, you use a phrase lasagna financing. That's right. That's is, right. There, is there something that we could do with money that would make it easier to cull together the financing necessary for this rather than I think what you've always meant is it takes so many different sources of funding to put to make a project viable. It it does. There's you know lasagna financing. So in any good lasagna, there's six or seven different layers, and 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 the same thing goes when you're putting a, a housing development together. It's not just equity and debt. It's all of the tax credit dollars. It's all of the home program dollars, the community development block grant dollars, the federal home loan bank dollars. There's all of these, again, layers of lasagna. If there was a one-stop shop, it would reduce the accounting costs. It would reduce the legal costs. It would reduce the development timeline. And remember, for developers, time is money. And the, the longer that process goes, the more expensive the housing becomes. 
somebody has to make up for those costs. And if there's not a grant or another deep subsidy that covers those costs, then those costs are made up in the rents or the cost of the house in terms of home ownership. I think it's time to make you the housing czar for the Hudson Valley. <laughs> well, wouldn't that be a great day? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Joe. You know, I, I think that your expertise in housing is really good in trying to start for us to look at this notion of building back better. We've always known there's a housing problem. We've always known there's been a shortage. We seem to have money. We seem to have enthusiasm. We have a great opportunity to think about more housing. But the question is, what does it look like? So you used housing. I want to use infrastructure. I was going to say, what about infrastructure, JD? That's that's a big topic. It, it is. And so one of the big projects that is up for consideration in our region right now is building a third lane on Route 17. Now, there are definitely sections of Route 17 that need a third lane. And so do I think it should go under construction and we fix the portions that need this third lane? I do. However, can we be imagined it? So what do I mean? Here are a couple of ideas. So one, in an age in which we're trying to think green, so can we put charging stations every second or third exit, build it so that the exits have a place for cars to um, immediately uh, charge their battery? Can we create in the third lane a way to go from, let's say, exit 130 right to Sullivan County, express lane straight through? Can we use things like the time that you're on the highway, you pay a higher fare? Look, we just did all the construction at Woodbury to make it tollless, but you're still paying um, a fee to come on. And there's the ability to toll you at that point. Well, if you enter between certain hours when the traffic is high, we have a chance at that point to um, be able to charge more. Maybe that helps to reduce some of the traffic. But now let's get even more imaginative. So Woodbury Commons is one of the most, it's either the first or second largest tourism attraction in, in New York State. It, it varies between that and um, Niagara Falls, and it always depends on the expansions that are occurring at Woodbury Commons. And this is all in Orange County for our, our listeners. Can we find a spot near Woodbury Commons where we could put additional parking? Because Woodbury Commons is crowded, so we got to look for another spot of which right near there, you could either do one of two things. You could get into a van that takes you right into Woodbury Commons. If Woodbury Commons continues to expand and needs more parking, so they added another decked parking lot, but that even that doesn't seem to be enough. Or, and this is where it starts to get imaginative, the first phase of a monorail, a monorail that would go from this parking area to Legoland. And therefore, you could go from Legoland to the parking area, get into a van, and then the van will enable you to go um, to Woodbury Commons to go shopping. Don't need a car to do any of this. Then the probably the most important segment of Route 17 that needs to be fixed, and we've got to figure out some better design for this, which is where I-84 and Route 17 merge. And where Route 17 lets off into exit 120 is a disaster. That is where I see the most number of accidents. And I've been driving this for almost 15 years, you know, from Newburgh, I-84, Route 17, into Sullivan County. So can we figure out how to redo that whole interchange? Because people are merging from the two lanes of Route 17. And then they get into trying to get off the exit. And then there are people trying to come on to 17 and speed up as fast as they can. It doesn't work. It, it, it was, it's just poorly designed. So, yes, 
we have additional money, whether it's housing, whether it is infrastructure, let's truly build back better. Absolutely. All right, Joe, thank you. Um, Our guests today are Summer Crockett Moore and Tony Glazer. Get ready to dispel all your myths about the film, television, and theater industry and meet two of the most committed individuals who are just fun to be with. Their production company is Choice Films, and they operate out of Umber Stages here in Newburgh, New York. But hopefully, they are expanding and bringing with it more high-paying jobs to the Hudson Valley. But more on that in this episode. Hi, Summer. Hi, Tony. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having us. We are surviving. Yeah, we are. We are. (laughs) Um, we are still standing. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful spring day, so things feel like uh, you know they're emerging. Um, it's been a very interesting year, I'll say. Um, a lot of uh, uh, perspective shifts, uh, a lot of a lot of growth, both personally and professionally, and so yeah. um, we're coming out of it with a real strong. I think. I think I think a lot of good things come from uh, forced introspection. I think <laughs> forced in. <laughs> It's a good way to put it, Tony. All right, let, let's let's explain who you are. So you, I know you as both Summer and Tony, but I, you're also Choice Films and you're at Umber Studio. So why don't we start by explaining who you are, what they are, so yeah. that our listeners have a sense of the two people I'm talking with. Sure. Well, uh, I guess I'll start and then we'll just, you know, jump back and forth. But we uh, we wear many hats in our life, I would say. Tony and I have a production company um, that actually turned 20 years old this year. It's called. Really? Yeah. It was our 20 year anniversary. Uh, And it's crazy. Um, We are a film, television and theater production company. Uh, We started our roots stem from, you know, theater in New York City. Um, which we started back in, you know, 2001, pre 9-11. And then mostly have been doing film and television for the past decade. Um, We have partnered with the incredible Umbra Stages, which we are now managing partners of. Um, And Umbra Stages is a soundstage facility, a production facility in the state of New York. We currently have three stages and we are expanding to six stages uh, as well as a bunch of production offices, scenic shops, um, over 200,000 square feet of production infrastructure is Umber Stages. Yeah. We also run a uh, not-for-profit group called Below the Line Boot Camp, which is a program uh, designed for at-risk youth to get a ground entry-level uh, positions in film and television production as production assistants. Uh, we also provide uh, mentorship for them. All of that's free to them. Uh, we uh, sustain ourselves from the kindness of our local businesses and also uh, a grant uh, from. Yeah, Tony, I, I forgot. And, and when I was thinking about the interview that you just got a grant for what, what, what's that grant and what are you going to do with it? Well, it's a WDI grant and yeah. it, it is uh, what it's going to do. It's going to, it's going to help uh, pay for teachers. It's going to help pay the students. Cause when we bring kids in, I call them kids because everybody that's <laughs> younger than me, sadly now, gets the uh, gets Kid the tag of kids. So no disrespect; it's just my own <laughs> issues with my own mortality and how it comes out. Uh, but uh, but we we pay for them too to come. So not only is it free to them, but sometimes uh, we know that people have to leave a job or they can't necessarily afford to to be trained, and so we want to pay them for that, and we also want to feed them uh, during that period, and then we want to put them right into a job that we have right now. Unfortunately, this is where uh, our our film production company and where our association with Umber Stages uh, all comes all, all come together because now we, we sort of have a pipeline where we can uh, put uh, people who have an interest in film production onto a, a set. And, you know, COVID has, along with all the other things that it has uh, given uh, the region, has created uh some other much needed uh, job positions. And so we've been hiring more people. There have been other departments now that are exclusively uh, designed for COVID and COVID pretend, uh, uh, prevention and management. Yeah. And so that the grant money goes a long way to allowing us to sustain 
the training program, uh, the training program, and to sort of and sort of enlarge the scope of it, so we can we can get more prospective students uh, and um, people of a young age uh, into the business. Yeah, Tony, they if you keep saying other, <laughs> yeah, if you keep saying of a young age, and I'm looking at you, and I'm like thinking, <laughs> oh my. All right, I'm just gonna get my water for a minute here. Yeah, I got it. All right. I love yeah. Now wait a so second. They all let's let's go backwards. Really. Let's go yeah. backwards. What what, mm-hmm. what how did both of you come? You know, let's talk a little bit about each of your careers that brought you to mm-hmm. the city of Newburgh, sure. which is where I met you, but yeah, so I, you know, hail from a very small town in, called Paris, Tennessee. I moved to New York City on a, a theater scholarship when I was 17 and never left. Um, met Tony in the city. Um, you know, I am a, an actor, a voiceover actor, uh, and a producer, production manager. So we wear a lot of hats in the professional world, too. We're members of multiple unions. And so we can bounce around in the industry uh, pretty, pretty easily. Um, I started working pretty steadily as an actress, uh, at about 21. And by 27, I knew that if I wanted more control over my career and I didn't just want to play the soccer mom or the doctor or the lawyer or whatever, um, I was going to need to be more creatively in control. And so Tony and I met at a perfect time because I had formed a little theater company and he had formed a theater company and we put our, our, our heads together and formed choice films. So, um, so I moved from, you know, Tennessee to New York city, lived there. And we came to Newburgh, um, on a Google search back in, uh, 2016 for a, a very small little feature film that needed a soundstage and we couldn't afford to do it in Manhattan. So we came to the Hudson Valley and found Umbra on a Google search. So. <laughs> and Tony, you're back. I'm so, so I am from a uh, a very small, out of the way town called Fort Lauderdale, Florida. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, not much happens there, <laughs> and it came doesn't really show up. Were you there for spring break? Uh, I was. I was there for all of them. <laughs> and, uh, I have the emotional scars to prove it. <laughs> and that that ultimately got me to come to come to come to New York. I was an actor originally. Uh, I studied uh, at uh, Boston University and then I went on to uh, study at the uh, Esper studio with Maggie Flanagan and then was an actor full on, no looking back. And then as, as it always happens, uh, other things took my interest. I began to, to broaden myself a little bit. I started writing, playwriting, screenwriting. Uh, that led to directing, that led to producing, that led to, to meeting Summer and and the two of us realizing that we, uh, of all of our various hats and interests that we have, we we enjoy to, uh, storytelling, uh, and we enjoy all the different facets of it. And not only do we enjoy just the act of telling a story that's either Summers or mine, or or uniquely, or it's collective, but but we we, we like telling stories that that are relevant to the community and the environment that we're in. And so you know, so stories and community became something very important to us. And mm-hmm. I think that's what uh, drove us to uh, to always want to wherever we are connect to the environment that we are in. That was the immediate uh, uh, foothold and the desire to uh, when we first came here to to start the Below the Line Boot Camp program because we wanted to meet people in the community and we wanted to let them know that film is for them even if they're not in the film business that they have a part in it if, if they want it. And yeah, and it really feels like. Uh, like coming home, coming to the Hudson Valley, um, you know, we felt immediately welcomed and and embraced, you know, by the community. And so it, we were only here originally for, uh, we were going to be for 18 months on a project. And at the end of that time, we didn't want to leave. And we were very grateful that, uh, mm-hmm. that it all worked out. We didn't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so um, I don't want to let this go by, which is, Summer Crockett Moore. And you did say you were from Tennessee. And I remember the first time I met you. So I asked the question, how Crockett are you? I am very Crockett. I, uh, John W., which is Davy Crockett's son, is buried in the, in the, you know, the local plot in Paris, Tennessee. I am four generations, the great, 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 great niece of Davy Crockett. 
I know. <laughs> I just, I just, all right. I, I, I just had to get that out of the way. Yeah. So, I, so I came and met you because for me, I thought that in trying to think about how do we bring good jobs to the Hudson Valley, that at least not very educated about this other than it being a huge fan of the movies, yeah. but always knowing that at the end of that movie, there's this, these credits with all these different production names, gaffers and best boys and all these other things that are there. And I remember coming first when I discovered you were in the city of Newburgh and I said, wait a minute, I, sh I should go talk to these people and find out what is it they do and can they make more of these jobs? So the boot camp helps get you there. But what are these jobs and are they good paying jobs? And what oh, are we yeah. talking about here? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's all different levels, right? All different tiers, as we call them, you know, in the in the industry for what the wages are and whether it's union or non-union. The majority of work in the Hudson Valley right now is unionized, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. We have major networks here, uh, independent productions, but they're all on certain tiers uh, that offer not only great hourly wages, they offer incredible pension and health and 401k plans. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's the standard. Um, and that's, you know, a, a feature film could employ, you know, several hundred people for several months, whereas a television series could employ several thousand people for over a year. Yeah. And they're not just jobs, they're careers. Right. I mean, they're careers with, as Summer was saying, with pension and health. And benefits and and it's uh, it's it's varied and it, it caters to things that um, people are already doing actually in different sectors. A lot of times, people in any community don't realize what what they have sort of taken for granted in their own in their own community actually has a place in film. Whether it's a seamstress for a wardrobe, you know. Obviously, hospitality for hotels, that goes without saying, but the, in the food service industry for catering, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of set medics, I have to say. The, the, the set medic industry has gotten a little more complex now, and that, that's a whole other uh, category. But things that already exist in any given town are things that are used, transportation. Yeah, they can plug right in. Plug I right mean, in. Uh, transportation, right? The same kind of uh, Teamsters that drive UPS trucks uh, mm -hmm. also drive all the gear back and forth yeah. from our equipment houses. Yeah. I mean, on set, anything, uh, you know, we, we tell the, the the youngsters in the boot camp, anything you envision that could be part of the film world generally is. You have hair, makeup, wardrobe. Electricians. Have, yes, electricians. Set construction. Yeah. You know, it really um, everything from administrative accounting all the way to electrical, you know, it's the sky's really the limit. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you're starting out, you know, and you're not in the union because you, you can't just join the union, right? You have to have qualifying hours and a certain level of experience and safety understanding of, of, of what's done on set. But, you know, a lot of people, ourselves included, started out working on non-union productions where you learn the ropes, yeah. um, and and they're very safe sets. Generally, they're run by um, you know professionals, um, and you can really you know get your hours, get your training there. And even those, even your your basic PA job, which usually pays minimum wage or or greater, um, your department heads can still be making a really livable wage, you know, and you, you just have to hope that, um, on the non-union productions, you have responsible producers and a responsible director and that safety is always the most important yeah. thing, but there is room to learn and grow. And so we, we like to tell people it's never too late to, to switch into a, a career in film and television. <laughs> there is. And it's so funny. It's so funny. People often try to sort of lump it all together and say, Hollywood, you know, Hollywood has come here, but it's not, we're not really, a monolithic enterprise, you know, every, not every production is the same. They're run by different people and different companies and, and so on and so forth. And so like Summer was saying, you know, you hope you get with uh, the right production company, but it's not like one production company does a really good job in a community and now it's Hollywood's okay. And then a product, first of all, Hollywood's not the only part of the country making movies, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's how it, it tends to get parceled out, you know, but, but it really is, um, there's just different companies that do different things. And when you first start out, 
you have to really develop a high tolerance for the word no. You have to hear no, you have to hear not hiring, and you have to hear all those things. And and one of the things that we've always aspired to do, and it's not just through the bootcamp program, it's just generally speaking as a company, whether it's through choice or whether it's through number of stages, is try to put as many people together as possible, not for us brokering it for any particular game, but to just sort of minimize the amount of no's that can often yeah. come with any competitive field. Well, a perfect <laughs> example, this happened uh, last week. You know, Tony, you, you bring up a really great point. A, a woman who had worked for over 30 years in human resources contacted us. They, they saw the article about Umbra expanding. And she contacted us and said, you know, I don't know anything about film, but I always, you know, really wanted to work in, in that industry. Can I come and just intern for you for free? I'll send you my resume. And she sent her resume, which was incredible. And I said, listen, you don't, you don't want to intern your management level. Um, let's think about what really is exciting for you. And what was really funny is after talking to her for 10 minutes, I realized not only did she have great administrative understanding and, and management skills. She was a real people person. Yeah. And so um, one of the networks that are here at our stages put a call out to us and said, hey, you know, we're looking for somebody who can help manage our COVID compliance team that we're hiring four people. Um, it's a long shot. Do you have anybody? I was like, I have the perfect person. She went yeah. in for an interview. She got hired. She's over the moon. And it was just about looking at the skills she had in a different way, you know? You know, we it was were a perfect pivot, on, I would on say. A, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a similar front, at a gentleman called us who was a graduate from the Newburgh Free Academy. Oh, that's a great one. And he was um, calling to see if there was anything, anything at all available. I said he wanted to be involved in, in film production. And because of uh, COVID, we haven't yet restarted our boot camp program yet. And so I said, well, we're still in the process of figuring out a few things, mostly uh, technical things as it relates to testing and, and, and all that. Uh, and they said, but why don't you do this? Why don't you, before we, we'll get, I said, uh, we'll get you into the program and we'll, 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 we'll plug you in. But in the meantime, why don't you send me your resume just so I, I, I can have an introduction to you. Uh, and he, he did. And I noticed that there was a, a nursing uh, um, uh, experience. We had some experience in nursing and he, that was a focus they wanted to get into. And I mean, but you know what, this is, this is, let me just go to the COVID team over at HBO in White House, uh, the White House Plumbers and, and, and see if this was something that was interesting to them. And, and I plugged it in and he got the job right out of the gate. And he interviewed and he got it and he did it. And, and, and he administered our, our COVID test check-in yeah, yesterday. He just, he, just, <laughs> he just checked me in. And so, so when it's that simple, we love it, you know, and, and if we can do it, we do it because it's the easiest thing to do. Uh, and it, it, it helps out. And it also reaffirms this notion that, you know, you already have the skills that it takes to be in this field business. You just haven't found the sector yet. You know, you just don't know which one that is. And we're more than happy to help people uh, to plug people in, you know, as, as are all the people who have come before us to do the same things, to make film a possibility in the region. We are certainly standing on the shoulders of giants as it relates to the work that's been done before here. And we continue to hope to, to endeavor to do what people before us have done so that people after us can continue to keep it going. So this is a podcast that focuses on um, how do we take COVID, how do we take the economic disruption mm -hmm. and the social issues and hopefully come out of this in a better place. Sure. You know, I, I'm, it's my one hour of optimism each week. Right. Um, so what happened to you folks during, I assume you were shut down. I know we were filming a video there. We had to follow all the protocols and it was pretty stringent. And yeah. you know, that's why I, I am very confident that the film industry is very, very good at adhering to the rules of, you know, that, that come out of the CDC. So tell me a little bit about what was happening during COVID. And then you've got some pretty big plans. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. We had this conversation, uh, you know, about two weeks ago. It was our two week, you know, our one year anniversary of having to shut down. We had just wrapped a movie um, literally three days prior to the government shutdown um, and had finished. So everything was done. Um, and I'm not going to lie. The first month or two was really hard for me. I'm not good at not being uh, in charge. It's hard to put. It's hard to put a primal scream in words. Uh, 
but I'd seen that's probably the best way to describe it. It was sort of a really terrifying one long collective primal scream. It must've been at least a week long. And then once we exhausted ourselves, uh, (laughs) I mean, wait a minute, Summer, unlike, you know, when everyone else was listening to the governor, you were like going, wait a minute, you can't do that to me. Well, I just, I remember I packed up my little bag and I said to Tony, I'm like, do you think we should leave the plants? Do you think we'll be back next week? Like what? And he was like, babe, I think we're going home going for home. a few months. And, and I was like, what? I, I was, I was, I, you know what, I, for, for, for whatever reason, and I think these things tend to be generational. I was fine with that. I, I remember at some point somebody had said, I started hearing phrasing like um, quarantine fatigue. And I was like, what's that? I never heard of that. This is actually okay. I, I, I think it, you know, and, and to your point about finding an opportunity in, uh-huh. in, in what is otherwise a really tragic circumstance, which which we can't really describe this past year as anything other than just a truly tragic uh, period where just a lot of people uh, got sick, a lot of people tragically passed, yeah. and uh, certainly the economy took took a real beating. And, and, and I think if there was one thing that we tried to take from that was uh, how do we prevent this going forward? How do we how do we prepare ourselves even further? How do we take the things that we want already to do how do we make those how do we make those uh plans even sharper yeah and and how do we take this and move this forward quicker and so we we once we got over our collective freak out about what this all could mean financially uh we 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 put on our adult pants and um tried to 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 plan and we and planned, to pivot to and pivot. to pi- and to pivot and and we planned pretty 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 ferociously about what how we were going to take everything forward, what our plans were for the stages, what our plans were for choice films, what our plans were for everything that we wanted to accomplish and how we can bring as many people in the community with us on that. Yeah. And it was kind of really interesting timing because, you know, the first couple of months home, it was, um, a lot of making sure that our staff who, you know, was also furloughed was able to, you know, get unemployment and a lot, a lot of like nesting and caretaking and making sure everybody was okay, mm-hmm. ourselves included. And then became um, the opportunity where we realized, mm-hmm. you know, we were in construction already for, for the expansion of Umbra stage two. And it was the perfect time to say, well, let's make everything we do now COVID friendly. So we upgraded the HVAC systems. And, mm-hmm. you know, thank goodness our partners are uh, our believers and visionaries because they went right down the planning rabbit hole with us and said, let's make touchless doors. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Let's let's yeah. alter what we can so yeah. that the minute it's safe to come back, we're ahead of it. I'm not going to lie. There were a couple drift moments when I found myself rereading Beowulf and that's always, <laughs> that's always an existential moment. Nobody really wants to visit. I just, yeah. I just, I was gardening. <laughs> he was reading. I don't know. This is what happened. You know, it wasn't all forward thinking and full steam ahead. Every once in a while you find yourself going, what am I doing? Tony grew a beard. He had a really, oh, yeah. and oh, I, I, I could show you photos. I tried that a couple of And a mohawk. A beard and a mohawk at the same time. It was pretty funny. Two things that you don't think go together, and I found out they did. <laughs> um, yeah, right. but so, but, so, but, so it worked. But then you now have some pretty big dreams. Yes, yes. So um, what, yep. what do you want to talk about that? Because I know it's not final. So sure. what do you want to explain about yeah. where you're going? Because I, I, I am just, I couldn't be more excited for you. <laughs> So we, so our, yeah, so our, you know, our the expansion main expansion first and then the Well, no, expansion. I mean, our, 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 the, the expansion ties into what the main plan is essentially. I mean, the, the expansion ties into what we're seeing now as a real sort of um, uh, uh, renaissance in the Hudson Valley as it relates to the film industry, where people are really discovering from all parts of the country how amazing it is to film here, how great the people are, how great the locations are, how how friendly and how willing everyone wants to be a part of this how industry. How far their dollars go here. How far their dollars yep. go here. How how mm-hmm. many industry and crew people are already here, living here. They just live here and then usually commute to the city because that's where the city, where the jobs usually are. But how many of them are already here? And so our expansion is really tied into the fact that we want to be able to support the demand that's building. And we're 
we we are again we're legion we're we we are just a few of many people that are that are seeing that and trying to do that so our plans are tied into that excitement it's tied into that demand that we're getting from outside people wanting to come in and and shoot their their series or their films here right well and and what happened was so stage 1 then begat stage 2 um, we immediately, uh, were booked out through 2022 on those stages. So we had a stage, which we're calling stage four, which was part of a, uh, a larger infrastructure at the Motorcyclopedia Museum. It was already a qualified space, but we renovated it, expanded it. Um, it's now over 21,000 square feet. So it's a standalone, beautiful, uh, semi-acoustical stage. That's also booked through 2022. So the decision was we either turn people away because we have six or seven projects behind these projects, right? Continuing to book or we expand and we're so blessed to be partnered with Ted Doring, who uh, is a visionary and his partner, Gene Laura um, have really, they saw this coming way before we even were living here. Um, and they had the plans to expand. And so what's worked so well in Newburgh with all of the buildings that are interconnected to make the stages and the support spaces, we are uh, replicating in New Windsor with mm-hmm. a series of uh, five buildings that will that will have three additional stages if the zoning is permitted. And it's under review now with um, the New Windsor town. Yeah, we're hopefully replicating the success that we've had here over there. And again, we just have this desire to keep building on the excitement. So I mean, we have a wait list. That's the thing. More and more people can come here. It's not, will you book it? They will come. It's they're waiting in the wings. We need room for them. <laughs> well, well said, Summer. Yeah. We, want, we, want, we just want to continue that excitement. And we want more and more people to be able to come here and really enjoy how exciting it is to be shooting in this region. I think the more people that come, the more people will stay. I mean, we've already had repeat uh, productions. Uh, companies coming back here. And I think that's a great sign. I think that says, I think that speaks volumes for the region yeah. and the experiences that production companies have when they come to the region. Yeah. Uh, and and so our our desire is to do our one part, our small part, which is which which I have to admittedly say it's a small part uh, for the bigger whole, which is to keep people here. Yeah. Well, you may say small part, but in the context of the Hudson Valley, the the facilities you have in the city of Newburgh, mm-hmm. then what you're trying to replicate um, with the support of the town of New Windsor, that's a pretty substantial commitment. Yes. And so why do you, where is it, com- where's the demand coming? Why the Hudson Valley? I mean, I know you said you did a Google search, Summer. But, yeah. yeah. But now there are, not only there's people filming, there's there's people, there's people from the industry living here. Sure. I sure. once took a map and put little pins where each uh, actor that I knew of, where they were living. Yeah. Quite impressive. How come they're finally discovering the Hudson I Valley? I think it's threefold. Okay. A, a, it is proximity to New York City, which is the, the second hub in the world for the entertainment industry. It's Los Angeles and New York, right? And then it like bleeds out from there. Um, we're very close. We're, uh, really easy to get to. Um, I think that's the first one. The second thing is the availability of local crew and incredible locations, right? The two go hand in hand. You don't have to come here for weeks and weeks and weeks to try to put your project together. You can show up, open your phone and be at work with a crew of people that are well-trained. Some of the best crew I think in the country live in the Hudson Valley. And then third, and I wouldn't say this is most important, but it's the thing on Google that got me to Newburgh is the expanded tax credit. So the 10% bump in the tax credit for New York State. Newburgh is the first stop. You know, Westchester is still the 25% zone. Newburgh is the first stop in the 35% zone in the state. And so that is dollars driving people here. I have to say, just on a side note, since someone brought it up, and I've said this before, um, there's a lot of people that have a lot of different opinions about the tax credit. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a jobs bill. Yeah. This 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 tax this tax credit has been more responsible 
and I know this firsthand and I can show my math <laughs> to prove it, uh, ha has enabled me to hire more people in this area alone, and it will continue to do so. It's, it is, I, I, I would say, it's funny that Summer mentioned three things. It's, I think it's more than a third of the reason why people are looking and coming from other places. I think, I think in some instances, it's the sole reason they're coming out here. And then the moment they get here, they go, oh, wait a minute, this is a great place to shoot. I think it was almost like that tax credit for some productions was a beacon. And they yeah. came out here looking for mm -hmm. uh, some, some, some fiscal relief. Uh, once they got here, they realized that it was no BS tax credit. It's serious. You have to hire people. It's yeah. not like you just show up and you get, you get a check. Thank you very much. But then once they're here, everything somewhere else was saying, all the great crew people, all the great key talent here, all the great performers. Incredible locations, performers. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. got, it's, got, it's really got everything. But that credit is so... It's urgently important yeah, to, to the ongoing health of yeah, the film industry in New York State. It's cri it's critical. Oh, there's a fourth thing, and I wouldn't say that this is least important. I think this is cake. almost as a yeah cake. No, cake. it's cake. No, it's the it's the film um it's the film commissioners that are here. So we have incredible film commissioners in the Hudson Valley. Yeah. Um, you know, we work hand in hand every day with the Orange County Film Office, um, Amanda Dana, Nora Martinez, and with Ellen Fillo in the city of Newburgh and with Scott Manley in the town of Newburgh and with Laurent, who is, an, you know, further north of us. But we work with them nonstop to get permits and find you know, I can't tell you how many times I've called Amanda or Ellen in the middle of the night and been like, I need a house with a green porch and a yellow thing and I need it tomorrow. And they have it and they know the person and it's it is done. It is um, without the film commissioners um, and the New York State Film Office. We Obviously can't. I was going to say, you mm -hmm. know, John, and Yoni and Jerry, I mean, and Gigi before them, they have. They're the lifeline and the lifeblood of, yeah. of the thriving, what we call the film family, hashtag film family. They keep us all, they're like the grandparents that hold the, the annual Christmas dinner. If you're from the South, like the granny, the granny Crockett always hosts everything. But it's not they're just, granny Crockett. It's not they're just, granny Crockett. it's not just, <laughs> I would say it's not just there. It's not just everyone that someone mentioned. It's not just that everybody is all in. It's that everybody is completely accessible. You can call them. They're not right. closed door. Any question right. you have, any right. problem you have, it's, you know, it, we, New York is really fortunate in this way that everybody who is involved in this industry on the level that we're talking about with everybody that we mentioned understands the value and the critical uh, input that film has for the region. And therefore, everyone's working together. Everyone's saying, call this person, call that person. Right. And so they're accessible. And they want to work because everyone knows what they're working for. Everybody knows what the it's end game is. It's that domino effect. You're right. It's yeah. a perfect. They all know. They all know the end game here. They all know what this ultimately leads to. So, so it's it, it, at the risk of in overstating this too emphatically. It's it, there's there's a there's a lot of great reasons to film here. All right. So let let's move to a slightly different direction because, as you know, hey. as a movie fan, I'm a little concerned about what's the future of the movie theater. But uh, I'm not concerned about the need for product and sure. for because it seems like every day there's another way to stream something and there's another series. There's another movie made now by Netflix itself as opposed to Paramount or something. Sure. What do you guys think? Where's the future of all this going? I'm, you know, I'm old. Maybe this is old fashioned. Maybe this is a generational notion. I don't, I don't know. But I'm always uh, I'm always uh, 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 ascribed to the notion that if 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 a movie happens and there's only one person there to see it, did it happen? Did you watch it? And I love the communal aspect of cinema. Yeah. I love going to a theater because it's not just the work that you're seeing; it's the collective response of everybody around you with you in that response, that their response is as much a part of the experience and the alchemy between what happens on screen and what happens in uh, uh, in uh, in your theater so that it's not just the work, it's what the work does to the community and the people around you. So for me, I am always gonna hold out hope that movie theaters won't die, 
that will that this will stay a part of it because it's it's a part of how we communicate with each other. Yeah. How we experience the world together. Art is such a, is such a it's such a big part of it, and it's 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 better in company, right? It's better to have these things. Why not have these things as if it's a town forum? You come you know, and you watch a movie. <laughs> I think you're right. I also I hope that it's going to be similar to what happened with records, right? You know, with like the old vinyl. Now they're kind of coming back because people are realizing that having everything in the phone, you know, it's like, I I still want to hold a book. I still want to read it. I don't know because of uh, the economy and how it is, how many movie theaters will survive if they'll continue to do things like Alamo Draft House, where you can go and see a movie and eat dinner and have an open bar. Like if they're going to become more experiential. Um, I don't know. I can say that. I've seen technology completely change an entire industry when I think about voiceovers and what my career was like 10 years ago versus what it is now. And technology has not made it better. It's made it easier, but it's not made it better. Um, And so I'm not concerned about the fact that we won't have jobs. I think we'll have even more jobs of a wider variety because of the demand for content. But how we consume the content it's really, it's a, it's kind of a scary time um, because I am very much like Tony. I like, I'm a very social person. I like to experience art as a collective. Um, if we're watching everything on our phone or alone at our house in our private home theaters, I feel like we're just going to be more and more removed from each other. And, and that doesn't seem good to me. Yeah. Well, and so I don't know whether this is the, the, um, the film that I want to uh, use is some maybe uh, sense of what's going to happen, but over Easter weekend, King Kong versus Godzilla, and it did quite well in the box office. Now, either that was pent up demand because people could go back to movie theaters. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I did see the movie, so I don't know if it was the movie, but you know, let's say those kind of movies do have a very, wide audience but it did quite well in the movie theater now it's interesting because it's it was also available on hbo max hbo max oh we saw it (laughs) right so like how do how do you how do you figure out that balance I, i know tony you said very interestingly that that collective experience and i had a thought about it that way that the idea used to go into a movie theater and everybody laughed or everyone screamed or everyone, you know, cried or something. Yeah. And that was part of the experience of going to the movies. And I have discounted that. And I think you're absolutely right that that is part of it. But with this demand for more content, more product, more streaming, it, certainly you guys and what you're trying to do, uh, you may be, but even, even if you get the next you know, facility in New Windsor, you might be booked out to 2024. Let's fingers crossed. That's literally kind of what's happening, knock on wood. If we look at what's in our calendar for holds, easily. (laughs) So great news for the Hudson Valley. We'll just have to go get more buildings. Ted, I hope you're listening. (laughs) Do you know, do you know, do you know it'll happen though? Do you know it'll happen though? If, if, if the, 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 the movie theater doesn't uh, all of a sudden people don't go to it as much, you know, generations from now, the, the y- a younger generation will go, we're going to, you know, we're going to do, we're going to have a, it's like a party. It's like mass, <laughs> mass movie viewing. And it'll be like a new thing. Right. Yeah. And then, and we'll go like the drive-in this right. summer. And I'll probably just, I'll be just, just barely alive to go. You sons of. <laughs> 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 right, what about you know you've been involved in lots of projects throughout your career yeah interview what was your you know do you have one that was really special I do I mean I have so many I would say I have two that are really special because they were they they both dramatically changed our future I would say um the first one is Junction it is close to my heart always it's the first feature film that Tony and I made together Tony wrote and directed it it um, kind of put our company on the map in a way, you know, when the New York Times review came out, it was like, oh my God, we've made it. This is it. Um, and, and we traveled all over the country and saw it in movie theaters with all different types of people. It was magical. I play a meth addict in it. So, you know, typecasting, kidding, but, 
It was the first time I got to play somebody that wasn't super close to my type. And and I remember people being like, I don't know if you can play that role. I was like, you watched me play that role. And I did. Um, that would be the one that I think is really close to my heart. I was going to say Big Dogs because it was the largest project we've ever done mm-hmm. as well. You know, Big Dogs A brought us to Umbra and B, it was the biggest project we'd ever done. You know, it was a whole series and we worked with the creator and built it from the ground up. So it felt very, um, I love the, I love the theme of that. Maybe you could tell our listeners what that was about. Maybe I'll let let Tony talk about that because he developed it with the creator. Uh, and then you can also talk about your favorite projects too, because I just kind of poured in here. (laughs) Real quickly. Yeah, no. So junction was, um, was a real, was a real great, fascinating project to work on not not only because of the 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 content in the books it's based on a book series and it's not just no, junction is not based on. i was talking about big did i say junction did. i meant to say big dog sorry <laughs> junction is really junction was really close to my heart because junction is is sort of a uh 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 it's not exactly autobiographical but it was sort of it was based on a lot of experiences that i had i wouldn't say they were all mine uh, but it, it, but it was based on a lot of personal things. I guess that's the point about it. And so it was a very personal, personal story for me. Uh, and, uh, and it was also the first feature that we did. And so it, that always holds your, it's always that first one, you know, your first time, you always remember your first time. And yeah. that was certainly it, uh, for, uh, for that. And, and I would say the same thing for, for big dogs, which was the television series that we worked on. And what I was going to say, what I had meant to say before I misspoke, was that um, you know it was such a fascinating project to work on not just because of the 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 the, the sub the content of it what it was about but that it was it had such crazy parallels to what was happening in our in 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 the world at the same time that we were working on it and so it's a book series of a sort of a, a parallel universe of New York City where back in two thousand nine uh, instead of bailing out the banks uh, the governments uh, decided not to. And that when that didn't happen, there was just this whole economic global collapse. And so New York had reverted back to this uh, sort of uh, 70s, 80s era urban blight and everything was all gutted out and all the municipalities were, were broke. And so it was sort of a, 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 this great prescient uh, uh, book series written by the writer Adam Dunn. And it was just fascinating how much it was like what was going on in the world now. And he had written it years before uh, uh, any of this had happened. And so it was just fascinating to work on. And then, of course, there was a there was a pandemic in the book series. In the book series, there was a pandemic. Really? Well, yeah. Yeah. And so it has a different name, which I won't say here, but it had a different name. and um, there's in episode one, when, when our lead characters first meet, one of them's looking at this map and it has all these things on it. And the guy, Manny Perez, who plays Santiago, says to Michael Ray, who plays Moore, what is that? And Moore like, doesn't show him. It was an, a global outbreak tracking the spread of the virus across the country. And when you look at that now, you're like, yeah, wow. And, and what, what, what that was sort of setting up was yeah. for in the next book, there was a full-blown pandemic. And so when we had gotten to when we were rolling out, uh, and of course, last year, cut to last year, when, when all this quarantine first started, it was like, oh my gosh, there's just all these things coming together. So that, that was those two things. But if I can add one more thing sure. to, to the mix, I think, and it's for the same reasons why Junction was so important, is I wrote a play called Substance of Bliss, oh, uh, which play. is uh, it's a two-hander. It's published by Sam French. And it's it's basically another something that I wrote that was just very personal. And I, and, and I think when you say something personal, uh, whether or not it's embraced or not embraced or whether or not someone knows about it or doesn't know about it those are the ones that i think mean the most to you you know because it, mm. it comes from such a a specific mm-hmm. place and so that one also meant quite a lot to me so if i had to name if i had to name them those would be the ones all right then so yeah. summer crockett moore and tony glazer thank you so much we're we couldn't be happier that you're in the Hudson Valley, that you're attracting more people, that you're creating jobs in the Hudson Valley, um, product, projects. Um, thanks for your time this afternoon. Oh, it was our pleasure. Thank you for having us. And thank you for all that you do. Yes. Such an important, you know, thank you're, you. you're, you're a very important piece of that domino effect, as we say. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you for everything. <laughs> 
Thank you for tuning in to Patterns and Paradigms, the Pattern Podcast. For more information about this episode, visit our website, patternforprogress.org forward slash podcast.